Messiah, uh, good to be with you today. We're going to warm up the, uh, this morning with a couple of true-false questions, and you can just answer these in your own head. Okay, true or false. God wants me to be happy. Answer that's true. That is definitely true. God does want you to be happy. Okay, let's do another true or false. God just wants me to be happy. Yeah. Answer, that one is false, and it is a lie that many Christians believe. True, God does want you to be happy, but that's not the first thing. And that's not certainly the only thing. God wants to be happy, but more importantly, he wants you to be holy. Now, today in our series, Lies That Christians Believe, we're going to be taking on the false pursuit of happiness Author and pastor Shane Pruitt writes, I've been in ministry for 17 years. Unfortunately, I can tell you story after story of people walking away from the truth and the teaching of scripture in order to pursue happiness. Some break a promise. Others verbally tear people down. Still others decide not to be married anymore because they found someone else who in unlike their current spouse, rocks their world. Whatever the situation, they come to a moment of justification and they play this card and they say, at the end of the day, I know that God just wants me to be happy. Oh, really? How do you know that? Uh, let me make this clear. God wants you to be happy but not at all costs. If the result of your happiness is sin, or if your happiness originates in sin, then God does not want you to be happy at all. He wants you to be holy. He'd rather you be holy and unhappy than happy and unholy. God wants us to be happy, but if it leads to sin, that it's not true happiness. Now, admittedly, sin can produce feelings of happiness as long as we're getting what we want. Uh, losing our temper, 
at going off on someone. Actually, it gives us a brief feeling of happiness because we get to let off steam. But the consequences of broken relationships and hurting loved ones are not happy. Sexual immorality uh, produces temporary feelings of happiness, but in the end, all you get is shame and guilt and distance from God, and that's not happiness. Or you take the pursuit of money, having stuff and accumulating, getting more and more of the stuff you want produces feelings of happiness. As long as the stock market is strong and thieves don't break in and steal. But you know, the world is full of miserable people who have it all, except for true happiness. Now, maybe if you've been around the block a while, perhaps you've picked up that uh, what I've been doing, I've been summarizing and paraphrasing a few paragraphs from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's a great sermon, and uh, it covers a lot of ground. You should read it sometime. Just three chapters. Matthew 5, 6, 7. It's a very direct message. And Jesus doesn't pull any punches. For example, just listen to Jesus' drastic extreme in order to illustrate the seriousness of the situation. Get this. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off or throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And this was God's word, and it is a serious word indeed. God wants you to be happy, but not at all costs. There's nothing wrong with happiness. God wants it for us too. It's just a question of which comes first, happy or holy. Is it going to be thy will be done or at the end of the day, my will be done? And understand this too. God wants you to be happy, but he's not a genie. To quote Shane Pruitt again, it's a common belief for many that God exists to be our personal genie, uh, waiting to give us our every wish, uh, desire, or validation for our feelings. It's amazing how we will wear ourselves to exhaustion or destroy the world around us by trying to pursue an elusive state of happiness. Again, don't get me wrong. Happiness, that is not a bad thing. I'm speaking about as the world's definition of happiness, or even more relevant to each of us, our own view of happiness. See, the, the world's idea of happiness, it's always tied to circumstances, right? If our circumstances are favorable, then we're happy. But if, when, circumstances tank, then we're not at all happy. See, the problem with happiness is that it's so fragile. After all, happiness is what happens to us. And we don't control much of what happens to us. That's why the world's happiness, it comes and it goes. Well, 
there's got to be a better way. And there is, there is, there is something bigger and better than happiness. And God very much wants you to have it. It is called joy. Joy is the combination of happiness and holiness. It's happy and holy mashed together. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, then you know the importance of joy. We talk about it a lot. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice, right? Jesus and joy just go hand in hand. We are called, we are called to live a life of joy. And yet, there are so many of his followers who look like they got baptized with pickle juice. Why is that? Joy is not the dominating characteristic of most Christians. It's just not. People don't go, Christian, joy. No, they don't. Joy is not the dominating characteristic of many Christians. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because there's a big old something that continually trips us up. I'll give you a hint. It starts with the letter S. Answer, scarcity. <laughs> you thought I was going to say sin. <laughs> you knew I was going to say sin, huh? Okay, it definitely is that too. That is always with us. Right, right. But you and I are also prone to something called the scarcity mindset. We constantly struggle with the never enough problem. Lynn Twist describes how many of us feel on a daily basis. She writes, for me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, the thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed or our feet ever touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. Perhaps you can relate. <laughs> Richard Beck explains there's the physical experience of lack, right? don't have enough sleep, uh, energy, time, money to pay the bills. That's physical stuff. But there's also a lack that relates to our self, our self-esteem, not enough success, influence, recognition, and that affects our feelings of worthiness and usefulness. Bottom line, we experience the never enough problem in two different ways. Not having enough and not being enough. And both sorts of these scarcities rob us of our joy. That's what's in the way of our joy. 
All right, we're going to take those out. These two experiences, not having enough and not being enough, because it affects our ability to receive and give away joy. And that is not what God wants for us. So let's start with the experience of not being enough first. This is an issue of identity. Who are you? It's a big question. And Martin Luther has a really big answer. It's Latin, but the English of it goes like this. You're simultaneously justified and sinful. In other words, you're a sinner and a saint all at the same time. That is rightly who we are. We're sinners, but we're beloved sinners. Have you seen the movie Fight Club? Not saying you should. But if you have seen it, then maybe you'll recall Tyler Durden's speech uh, against the false identities that we assume. I'm going to clean the language up just a bit. You're not how much money you have in the bank. You're not your job. You're not the car you drive. You're not the contents of your wallet. You're not your family. You're not your problems. You're not your age. You're not your hopes. You're not your khakis. You're not your khakis. You're a sinner, but you're a beloved sinner. And that's why hanging around Jesus is so important. That's why talking with him throughout the day and hearing his word on Sundays and all throughout the week is so vital to your connection to your true identity. See, we're simultaneously justified and sinful. That is a realistic identity. According to our sinful behaviors and desires that just come out of us naturally, we deserve judgment. But because of God's mercy on the it all goes away. We're covered. God's grace changes our identity problem. And that's why we need to keep coming back to the cross because we so easily forget. See, you come to the cross and you take a look at the one who gave his life for you. You don't think you're valuable? What more has he got to do for you? Well, take a look at the cross and the blood and the tears shed for you. If we could see us how God sees us, we would be utterly amazed. We wouldn't recognize ourselves because we're covered in righteousness, covered in the righteousness of Jesus. And we are absolutely wonderful in his sight. If you are in Christ, then Christ is in you. You are not ordinary. You are made in the image of
image of God and covered in the righteousness of Christ. That means this, as much as God the Father loves his son Jesus, it is exactly the same way in which God loves you. Get this, God loves you. But get this, God even likes you. Oh, if you could like you the way God likes you. Don't you know? Don't you know? He smiles at you. He smiles upon you. He takes great delight in you. He rejoices over you with singing. You are worthy because you are loved. I'm going to say this slow. You are not loved because you're worthy. You're loved because Jesus is worthy. And you are worthy because you are loved. The best way to deal with the scarcity of not being enough is to hang around Jesus more. Because joy is based on Jesus. You see, the more you hang around Jesus, the more you'll understand grace. The more you understand grace, the more you can give it away. You can even give it to yourself. You want more joy? Well, it comes from Jesus and grabbing the gospel, which is the reality that God loves you and likes you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done and what he's given you. Happiness combined with holiness is joy. And joy comes from Jesus, not circumstances. Now, just we're, we're perfectly clear. Joy does not mean always laughing and smiling and being silly. Joy is not always being carefree and upbeat. Joy is not the power of positive thinking or always seeing the glasses half full. No. Suffering and difficulty and hardships are very real scenarios that every person must face. Jesus knew suffering all too well. On the night before his death, he said to his disciples, you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And that is incredible because if you think about it, he is talking to a bunch of guys who are going to be persecuted. They are going to be robbed of everything they own. They're going to be tortured physically. They're going to be put to death. Yet, Jesus is promising to give them a joy that will withstand all of that. Nothing, not sickness, suffering, fake friends, financial mess, divorce, loneliness, even death will be able to take away your joy. What does he mean by that? Here's what he means. If you have him, you got it all. If you have Jesus, you have joy and it can't be taken away. Now, he is not saying that we need to pretend that our bad things are good things. No. No. Pastor Jim unloaded this a couple of weeks ago. Evil is evil. 
injustice is wrong. Pain is pain. As they say, the struggle is real. But if you have Christ, then you have joy. And the joy is even more real. Romans 8, 28, the wonderful truth. For we know that in all things, God works the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You know what that means. Here's what it means. And I'm going to quote Tim Keller, who was uh, ripping off preacher Jonathan Edwards. He said, because you have Christ, you have three things. I said it before. I'm going to say it again, I'm sure. Here's what you got, Christian. One, all your bad things are going to turn out for good. Secondly, your good things can never be lost. And three, the best is always yet to come. You stick with Jesus and you will see that your bad things will turn out for good. <laughs> and all those good things that have gone, you get them back. They come back to you. I'm thinking of our loved ones that we miss so much. The best is yet to come. Joy is not based on circumstances. It is based on Jesus. That is the Christian's hope and that is the Christian's happiness. Now, let's briefly take on the fear of not having enough. Okay. Easy solve here. Two words. Practice gratitude. There you have it. Scarcity says you don't have enough. And the way to beat it is by doing the opposite. Practice gratitude, and that is the way of saying there is enough. You want joy? Then get in the healthy habit of saying thank you. And you can start today. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day to give thanks to the Lord. You'd be grateful for what you have. And it works. It actually works. And joy comes to us, and it comes to us in, in moments. These very ordinary moments of the day. And too often, we miss out on joy. You know why? Because we're too busy chasing down some spectacular thing in the future that we think will give us joy. Some big thing that's far off, right? And so elusive. It's always someday, 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 someday. And we're waiting for some extraordinary someday in the future. Today is the day. Be glad in it today. Practice gratitude in the ordinary moments. If I could convince you to do one thing today, here's what I want you to do. I would want you, if I could just make you do one thing, here it is. Go get an ice cream cone and eat it. Really, and enjoy it. That's what I would say. We just enjoy that ice cream. That's it. Go get an ice cream cone and rejoice about it. Peter Buster Burfang. All right, you know, go big, whatever. And just 
this is the day the Lord has made. I'm rejoicing and I'm glad in it. Yes, put it into practice. Give thanks in all circumstances. Pray as you go throughout the day. That is what God wants for you. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Both the good and the bad, you do this and your joy will increase. If you doubt it, try this experiment. I got this from Richard Beck. He writes, pick anything in your life that's a source of dissatisfaction, okay? Maybe it's your old smartphone when it's bad battery, your junky car, your less than satisfying job. Now, make it a practice over the next few days to express a heartfelt thanks for your phone, your car, your job, anything else in your life. Be thankful that you have a phone, a car, a job. Millions of people all over the world are, would love to have one of those things. They don't have those things. But you take time to count your blessings. Really, you do this. And then notice how that source of dissatisfaction is transformed into a location of joy. Now, imagine extending this thankfulness across every sphere of your life. Just imagine what it would be like to experience everything in life, every moment, every possession, every possession, every task, every relationship as a gift of grace would be absolutely transformative. It would change your life. No wonder gratitude makes people happy. Right? So you, we have it reversed. We think something good has to happen to us so we can be happy and then we say thanks. No, no. Give thanks. Practice gratitude. And the happiness follows. The joy follows. It comes right along. Oh, it's true, your junky old smartphone still has a lousy battery life. But in expressing thanks, the phone becomes an experience of grace. And it'll start to click that everything in life is a gift, which then means that every gift comes from a giver. And that is very true. So gratitude is giving thanks to God. Gratitude then is a posture of prayer. And prayer as a practice is a posture of thankfulness. Prayer is the mindful discipline to act out of an experience of gift receiving rather than scarcity, right? So instead of always wondering what I don't have, enough of, what I don't have, what I need, blah, blah, blah. Instead, you give thanks for what you do have and your joy will increase. Let me put it to you like this. This week, try this. This week, try making your prayers 
I'm just talking about these conversations with God. Make your prayers this week. 90% thankfulness. Whenever you're alone this week, you just start a conversation with God and make it mostly about thankfulness. And you can do this throughout the day. No matter the day. Good hair day, bad hair day, no hair day. You give thanks. And your joy will increase. Right? I thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me the way I do. Thank you for even liking me. I don't like me. You like me. Wow. Thanks for waking me up. You don't have to do that. You sit in your bed instead of wondering what you don't have or you didn't get enough sleep or whatever, you say, wow, thanks for this bed. Thank you for this pillow. Oh, I love sleep so much. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Wow, I can see. Thank you for these clothes. Thank you for this ice cream. It's awesome. Thank you, Lord, for the joy that's ours in Christ Jesus. Amen.